This is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. A good week before Thanksgiving to you. We do have Thanksgiving news, especially on the West Coast and that wonderful state of Pennsylvania where the governor there has decided that even inside your own home, you must wear a mask when entertaining people from outside of your family. So the first thing we all want to know, because we listen to podcasts to get the latest information, for the most part, the state of play in the election. Let me just go through the list, because there are a few things, lots of moving parts. And in Wisconsin, we have the president putting up money to get a partial recount in Wisconsin. And this is interesting because we now have him putting his own money where his mouth is, and which is uh, something he's done quite a bit, considering I don't think he's ever taken a paycheck for being president of the United States. I suppose that gives him a little bit more credibility on the bully pulpit. Then again, maybe not. So they've got that going on. Litigation in Pennsylvania, the election observer uh, complaint was tossed out by a judge. It could be appealed, but they have to certify their election on Monday. So we are stone running out of time here on the recount or at least to stop things before the certification can begin. The Electoral College does not convene until next month. But nevertheless, the Trump administration is thinking that there is a lot more play here in Pennsylvania. And one of the things that they're most concerned with are the equal protection considerations uh, with the voting. Have you voting in one kind of way and be able to cure ballots in one county and then not be able to do them in other counties? And Democrat counties are very lenient on that uh, consideration. And you can go, if you messed something up, you can go, oh, well, you know, I didn't sign the outside of my envelope. And so they're allowed to fix that, whereas in other places they're not. So that is a concern that we ought to bear watching. I imagine that that is going to be changed coming up in the next election cycle. And it, uh, of course, will be fought tooth and nail in court by Democrats and those, of course, who run the state, Democrats, and the the courts. So we'll see what goes on. It's in Michigan. There's there's more give and take. There's consideration and complaint about the uh, Dominion software used in the vote counting machines. So that is something that is wholly confusing to me. Because what you have here is you have really credible, wonderful lawyers, uh, Sidney Powell being one of them, but they're not election law experts. They're federal law experts, Lynn Wood, the other one that comes to mind. And they're not quite up to scratch on all of the permutations of election laws. So therefore, you do kind of wonder what they're playing at, Put up or shut up, as the Wall Street Journal basically put it today. So we've got that. In Georgia, there is the recount underway. And honest to goodness, they keep finding they keep finding ballots, you know, like a 5,000 here or 2,500 here, et cetera. And of course, they're split out between Biden and and uh, uh, President Trump. But they're also split out between the Senate candidates. So we've got this runoff that's already planned for January and people are moving to Georgia in order to commit uh, voter fraud to vote in an election which they have no business voting in. And um, what we may have is if there are enough votes to make a difference to avoid a runoff, we might have a winner. 
So that's an interesting permutation of what's going on in Georgia. The other thing that's going on in Georgia is that the lawsuits that are being uh, filed have among them affidavits from people working in the industry for, in this case, 20 years, Georgia recount worker with 20 years of experience handling ballots described an odd batch that stood out pristine sheets with no markings and 98% of which were for Joe Biden. He's not the only one. There are several other people who attested to this under penalty of perjury about how pristine these ballots were and how they didn't have any other markings as if they'd been counted before or touched by human hand before. Um, You know, don't you want to just run everything to ground on this election? Look, we know... And I'm not part of the fairy tale club, but we know that President Trump was wildly popular and got out the vote like none other. And apparently so did Joe Biden, even though he didn't actually he didn't go on the campaign trail very much. There was a machine behind him doing this. But Trump, we know, had a lot of legit grassroots support. And it kind of makes you wonder what's really at play here. You know, you want to find out ultimately what has gone on in these states. And so it's only fair, I think, to find out. Trump's the disruptor. He's always been that. He always will be that. And I look forward to to hearing what happens in these cases. And let's just pray to God that they get going and that Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood and those guys who by the way, don't have a lot of election experience, can at least get down and run to ground some of the allegations that they're uncovering in this whole Dominion thing, which is at play in Michigan and in other places. So that's what they're doing. Their contention is that this software was intentionally uh, created to shade election results. And you know, as my friend Hugh Hewitt always says, you can't cheat if it isn't close. Perhaps something like this is at play, uh, although they're they're actually saying that there are large gaps in what really happened in the voting and what the machines show in the voting. So there's always that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. They've just thrown out uh, a local race in Nevada. That wasn't even expected. 153,000 ballots just basically tossed. They had to get rid of it because... There were so many, quote unquote, uh, discrepancies in the voting in Nevada. I know it's it, it kind of is shocking, right, that there would be problems in Nevada. I'm sorry, I, I said that for effect because, of course, there are problems in Nevada. You've got the mob and the SEIU. What could possibly go wrong? Let's see, what else have I got? Georgia. Keep finding ballots. I already told you about that. Let's see. I got a little list here because it pays to have a list. My friend Cam Edwards over at Bearing Arms, who actually plays prominently, this publication does, in the Antifa versus Mike Strickland episode today. And don't miss that, by the way. Do not miss this one. If you're going to miss one, don't miss, don't make it this one. They talk about the fallout of the election so far. And the claims being made by some people so far, this is the most desperate post-election spin, he says, that I've seen from the gun control crowd in a piece of Newsweek, which has reliably gone off the friggin' deep end. And if it hasn't gone off the friggin' deep end, then it's been crazy the whole time. Brady president, that's the Brady Association 
anti-gun group, anti-gun rights group. Brady President Chris Brown and Parkland dad Fred Gutenberg claim that the anti-gun movement has never seen a more solid endorsement of its cause than the election of Joe Biden, the greatest gun violence prevention champion our movement has ever had in the White House. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Just give a couple warning shots. Shoot him in the leg. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Joe's your guy, right? <laughs> okay. anyway but that was a claim that they made which i think is kind of funny in fact it's not just kind of funny it's hee-haw funny because i mean joe biden he's gonna he'll put beto o'rourke in charge of his gun program remember he promised him not once but twice joe 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 biden has promised to put beto o'rourke twice as his guns are or somebody who can affect change because look let's face it beto doesn't have a job right now Beto needs a gig. Yeah, I know. His wife is an heiress to billions or millions, but Beto needs a gig. He's got kids. He he wants to show them that dad's got a job. He tucks his shirt in, goes to a job every once in a while and uh, does something. Wall Street Journal today. Please, it says, put up or shut up. Show us your results on the Dominion voting machines. Please do. Final takeaway from this one. Biden's lead, 73,000 votes in Pennsylvania, 145,000 in Michigan and Georgia. The Republican state secretary of state last week ordered a hand recount of all five million ballots. If Georgia's recount doesn't find big irregularities, then these claims should be put to rest. In the George W. Bush years, the conspiratorial left focused on Diebold, a maker of electronic voting machines. It would be a mistake for anyone on the right to go down the similar dead end, especially if Georgia's paper ballots give the same result as the computers. And, of course, we already know it hasn't because we keep finding ballots. (laughs) And we know they're not fake because some of them are for Trump. I mean, you know that, right? One uh, final word about the election from Real Clear Politics. uh, An opinion writer over there says, Now imagine if Joe Biden had enjoyed a healthy lead on election night only to see it evaporate as the numbers dripped in from Republican strongholds. Does anybody believe the mainstream media would have rushed to anoint Donald Trump the winner? With the New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, and other outlets have cast the inevitable Democrat demands for ballot reviews and recounts as a constitutional crisis, or would they have run wall-to-wall coverage about incoherent, oh, I'm sorry, inherent problems associated with mail-in ballots? I really wish they would get rid of mail-in ballots. I have to say, from the experience I've seen in Oregon and certainly in California, ever since the administration of mail-in ballots going all mail because they wanted to make sure everybody got a chance to vote, there's not been one state, well, there's been one statewide race won by a Republican. Now, sure, some of that's demographics. Not all of it, though. You cannot, you cannot be serious. You cannot be serious. And in fact, in Oregon, where the monoculture, the political monoculture, has decided that uh, Tootie Smith, who is the Clackamas County chair-elect, has lost her marbles because Tootie Smith decided that she was going to hold Thanksgiving dinner this year and she was going to invite family and friends. And I've just written a piece about this over at PJ Media, which you should go read because it's really good. But here's Tootie Smith, nice gal, 
I've been equated with her for years. And she's a public servant. She's been doing this for years. She goes, I'm going to have Thanksgiving. My family will celebrate Thanksgiving with as many family and friends as I can find. Governor Brown, Kate Brown, is wrong to order otherwise. The governor in the state of Oregon has decided that you shall not have Thanksgiving with anyone but six people in your house and presumably relatives, but no more than six people, or they will literally send the cops out and jail you or fine you. Now, we know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, oh, sure, the same state that won't put violent Antifa and Black Lives Matter violent rioters in jail or let them get out without bail are not going to put you in jail for celebrating Thanksgiving. And you'd be wrong about that. Now, if you think that, you have not been listening to Antifa versus Mike Strickland, our ongoing podcast within a podcast. I want you to listen especially to this week's episode. Don't miss this one. It will show you clearly the double standard that Oregon political figures uh, have with respect to law and order. I mean, if you didn't think the Antifa Black Lives Matter thing was enough for you. By the way, uh, Black Lives Matter has decided that Antifa is making them look bad. (laughs) No, really? Uh, Oh, geez. Anyway, so Rick Moran, one of my colleagues over at PJ Media, writes a piece. It's entitled BLM Antifa Split Over Biden Win Racial Justice. Antifa and Black Lives Matter may appear on the surface to be united and wanting to overturn society, but how that goal is accomplished is causing quite a friction between the two groups. Goes over reaction to the latest mobs rioting uh, violence in the city of Portland and elsewhere. L.A. Times also writes about what's going on in L.A. Because uh, the BLM folks say, uh, you know, uh, when I hear when I hear about somebody burning something down, I think, about that as an act, and I've always been always been used against black people. So why are black people doing this? Well, this this is Ron Hurden from from Portland, and he says you guys are making us look bad, Antifa. We got to get away from these people. And Ron's old school. I mean, he's been around as long as I've been around, and and he says that indeed they would like to withdraw from Antifaville. Because they need to do something about racial equity, and basically Antifa is a bunch of white people. That's not the only reason he says that. It's because Antifa is just straight up crazy. Uh, but nevertheless, what Ron doesn't understand apparently at this juncture, he's trying to reframe it. You know, the old catcher trying to reframe and pitch that's just a little bit out of the strike zone, just for the benefit of the umpire. But it's not going to work this time because BLM and Antifa have been paired up since the inception of BLM. And Black Lives Matter is a group that their own founders have said is fundamentally Marxist. And in that way, they share the same DNA with Antifa. But furthermore, BLM showed up on the scene. They called themselves Black Lives Matter at that point. In Ferguson, Missouri in 2014, with the hands up, don't shoot lie about Michael Brown. And what happened was 
subsequent riots. That whole Michael Brown thing touched off riots, as you well know, if you've been above the sod since 2014. And they had Antifa far-left organizers coming in to Ferguson to foment those riots. They wanted to organize the riots. Lisa Fithian, remember that name, Lisa Fithian, who's been an organizer in uh, all kinds of far-left groups from Occupy, before that, WTO. She came in and she did trainings with Black Lives Matter volunteers at that point, people who belonged to this, the people who were uh, who came in from out of town, they were thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to go get in the action and riot and I'm going to burn down Black-owned businesses and, and uh, that's what I'll do because it's a lot of fun. She was there. Uh, Black Lives Matter at its very inception, the birth pangs of Black Lives Matter occurred with Lisa Fithian, Occupy Wall Street, Occupy Portland, trainer, ISO, uh, previous uh, to that, WTO. That chick was all over it. She's with far-left organized groups. This is the DNA of Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry, but Jonathan Capehart of the Washington Post, you can't talk your way out of this. He tried uh, in September to say, oh, there's no... There's no collusion whatsoever between BLM and Antifa. I can't believe I have to say this, he said. But here goes. Black Lives Matter and Antifa are not the same thing. Wrong. They are. And as you know that, even in 2016, so we had the 2014 Ferguson stuff, they became aligned. They are in the same DNA strand. They occurred at the same time to go after Mike Strickland in 2016, and they have been connected at the hip ever since. They just say, well, we're calling ourselves uh, BLM. We're over here. We've got different uh, organizational people and that sort of thing, and they happen to be somewhat black, although in Portland, as we've talked a lot about, they're mostly white people. There are some black people, obviously, and Black Lives Matter, but a lot of white people and, and allies, ally group as groups as well. Now, I mentioned this because in Portland, there was a guy who beat up. He was a BLM guy, Black Lives Matter guy, not a Bureau of Land Management guy. Just want to clarify. We read here from Fox News that the man who is a security officer for Black Lives Matter and Antifa, I'm sure, uh, Marquise Love, feel the, feel the love, beat the snot out of a guy who stopped his truck to help a woman who'd been knocked over by protesters. It turns out the woman is actually a transgender woman who was being picked on and battled with by these brats. And this guy gets out and he got the snot beaten out of him. He's nearly killed. It looked horrible. It would, in fact, it looked so bad that even the Multnomah County Portland District Attorney, the new guy, the Mr. George Soros dude, you know, let's let everybody out of prison. Let's not keep anyone in jail. Let's not prosecute certain crimes because, you know, after all, they're just poor victims themselves. That guy, he even said, yeah, this guy's got to go away. He's going away for 20 months and he has to have uh, probation 
prison time and alcohol abuse evaluation, which I'm sure will be very quick since there isn't any alcohol that I'm aware of in prison. Here's another one. Another fake hate crime. There are so few actual hate crimes that go on in this country that people are making them up. So much of a dearth of these crimes that if you want to become an official victim, you have to actually victimize yourself. My colleague Jim Treacher from PJ Media. Why do people keep committing hate crime hoaxes? Why do waiters keep writing racist racist notes to themselves on restaurant receipts? Why do homeowners keep spray painting swastikas on their own property? Why would you risk your reputation and maybe even your career just to make yourself look like a victim? Why? Because it works. Goes into a guy who just trashed a gorgeous BMW and it's his own car. There's actually surveillance cameras and there's footage from the homeowner, which was the BMW owner, doing himself dirty on his own car. Let's see. The owner of the BMW that was spray painted with racist and homophobic graffiti in October is now facing insurance fraud charges. Uh, Erie County District Attorney John Flynn announced Tuesday that Clifton Utsi, 18, allegedly spray-painted messages of hate on his own car in North Buffalo. Wow, things are tough for this kid in Buffalo. Can you imagine living in a nice neighborhood? I saw pictures of it. A lot of lovely, leafy little suburb of Buffalo. And there he is driving a BMW. Poor, poor baby. What's he trying to do? Get a topic for a college entrance exam or something? Uh, you know what? I bet you that 20 bucks that's what happened. I bet you if I followed that guy and I followed a story and I figured out what the hell was going on here, it would be because, well, you know, I just wanted to have something to say. that I was downtrodden and a victim, you know, so I can get into Yale. I just made that last part up, but I bet you 20 bucks I'm right. <sighs> Erie County District Attorney John Flynn announced Tuesday that Clifton Utsi 18 allegedly spray-painted messages of hate on his own car. Swastikas, the N-word, KKK, and profanity against Black Lives Matter were spray-painted all over the car, a BMW X5. What, do you think he wanted to get a sedan? You think that's what what the deal was? Hey, Mom and Dad, I really don't like the X5. I mean, it's kind of not a guy car. Could I just get a, you know... Maybe a convertible. I know it's Buffalo, but come on. The police report also stated that sugar was poured into the gas tank. My um, colleague reports, you get to play victim. Everybody wants to comfort you, tell you how brave you are in the face of such adversity. And note the other benefit of making it look like Trump voters. Oh, yeah, there's an anti-Trump thing on it. Like Trump was here. Yeah, Trump, vote Trump or something like that on the car please. Republicans have to answer for it. They actually went to the local GOP, the news media did, and said, well, what do you have to say about this? To which they said, well, we we think that's horrible. And we would disavow any person doing such a thing and any act of violence like that. There's so much wrong with all of it. Treacher goes on. 
They're expected to condemn anything that can possibly be blamed on one of their voters, even if it turns out to be a hoax. Whereas elected Democrats aren't expected to answer for their voters, even after those voters run around beating up Trump voters in the streets of Washington, D.C. And indeed, that's exactly what happened. I know. I talk a lot about the rioters, the violent people, because uh, they have the soapbox right now. They're getting their message out. The media are buying it. And we're being taken for a ride. And we ought not do that. In fact, we should pay attention to the underpinnings of this so we know how to stand up on our own two feet and go, that's wrong. And you're wrong. And I refuse to buy into it. So get off my lawn. It is now time for us to turn our attention toward the podcast or the podcast, the serial Antifa versus Mike Strickland. Don't miss today's. I'm not a racist. Dude, don't get the out of here. Don't put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Do not put your hands on me. Put your hands on Before the nightly riots we've seen in the news, there was one case. The first case, the case of Mike Strickland. Now at noon, another court appearance today for the man caught on camera waving a gun at protesters in Portland last month. And now he faces a lot more charges. Michael Strickland faces 21 counts connected to that incident. He was a journalist who was beaten by Antifa and Black Lives Matter protesters. And he defended himself from the mob with his legal gun, and not a shot was fired. Our position hasn't changed, our client's position has not changed, that he is not guilty, that he was using the um, weapon to protect himself, and he was doing so within his rights. The only one hurt that day in July of 2016 was Mike Strickland, and the only one punished was Mike Strickland, the victim. I'm of the firm and steadfast opinion that when they come for Strickland's rights, they're coming for mine next. See, Antifa says it's anti-fascist, but Antifa is really anti-First Amendment. It's going back to the street violence of the 1920s and 1930s as a technique and a tactic. And the court system doesn't realize it's happening. This is the story of Mike Strickland. Everything seemed different in the Mike Strickland case. Norms were abandoned. Strickland was beaten and attacked by a violent mob of Antifa and BLM militants who conspired to physically throw him out of a public open protest on public property. They came back to do it again. And Strickland, at that point, 
pulled his legal gun and backed off the mob. No shots were fired. Then Strickland was the one arrested, fined, jailed. More on that later. What was the X factor that had authorities treating him so differently? Attorney Chris Trotter. Something was different. And when you look into what makes that difference, um, it seems like the X factor is politics, political affiliation, it appears to me. And Mr. Strickland, it's no secret, is a videographer. He's obviously got the things that he produces online and, and uh, publicly available. And he's, um, the type of work that he's done has gone to um, expose corruption. And given the uh, power structure, given the um, who's in power in this area, that typically has been people on the left. And so those same people are in power, and those are the people who enforce the laws. Those are the people that decide who gets charged, who doesn't get charged. And it seems clear to us from everything that we can see, looking at using police lingo, this totality of the circumstances, looking at everything, it seems that the reason he's – because there's no question he's been treated differently. And it appears that the reason, the basis for that differential treatment appears to be his political affiliation – But this wasn't the first time the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office in Portland had put its thumb on the scales of justice for the perpetrators against Mike Strickland. March 10th, 2015. You stole my equipment. You stole my equipment. I'm calling the police. Just calm down. Okay, just calm down. Calm down and get it back. You know my back here. Chris, you want to solve this or not? Okay, put it down then. Okay, just you give me my equipment back. Put it down. You give me my equipment back. Put it down. Okay, calling 911 right now. Okay, Fine. just come. Stealing my equipment. Do you want to solve this or not? I would like to, yeah. Then have him sit down. Okay. Do you want to solve this? Have a seat. Okay, just calm down. Do you want to solve this? Hey, just saying, I'm the manager here. This is my restaurant, and if this is going to continue, everybody's leaving right now. Idea. Can you tell this him to give my equipment back? He has, two, cam- he has two cameras in my on him right now. Hi, um, I'm at the Sherry's at 181st and Powell. There's a guy that is stealing some of my camera equipment. Uh, his name is Sky Fitzgerald. He also might be Scott Fitzgerald. Where is your uh, he, he's got it now. It's in his jacket. Okay, but where did he take it from? Was it in your car, on your person? It was, it was sitting on the table in, okay. in, in Sherry's, and he's now walking out of Sherry's. Okay, so what is Scott the name of Scott. Uh, his name is Sky Fitzgerald. Sky or Scott? Uh, it, it, actually, uh, it might be one or the other. He needs to give me my equipment back. He's heading towards... Uh, okay, take, where, take a deep breath, okay. Okay, sorry. Take this stuff. I'll give it back. Oh my god! Ouch! Ah! You broke my arm! Call the police! 
Nearly a year and a half before his attack by leftist Antifa and Black Lives Matter attackers at a Don't Shoot Portland Black Lives Matter protest, Strickland was attacked by another person of the left, Sky Fitzgerald. Sky Fitzgerald? It's truly an honor for me to introduce our guest speaker today. This year's commencement speaker is Mr. Sky Fitzgerald. As a Fulbright research scholar, Fitzgerald produced the film Bomb Hunters in Cambodia, and over the course of his career has collaborated with the Sundance Institute, the U.S. Institute of Peace, the State Department, and Mountain Film. As a director of photography, Fitzgerald regularly lends work for major broadcast and cable strands including Dateline, Vice, CNN, and the Discovery, Travel, History, and Animal Planet channels. And I ask that you please give a warm welcome to Sky Fitzgerald. I am really happy to be here today. Fitzgerald, an Oregon-based documentary filmmaker, Sundance appearances, Oscar contention, friend of NGOs, peaceniks, environmentalists, Oregon politicians, proposed a documentary about gun violence that a Strickland friend, Chris Cochran, had agreed to participate in. But something odd happened on the way to completion of the documentary. Cochran believed he'd been bait-and-switched, that Fitzgerald had lied to him about the documentary's premise. The proposed documentary was under the working titles of Oregon Divide and 101 Seconds. My guns are preemptive. My guns are mine. And nobody has the right to take them away. The fact of the matter is, you can't have gun violence without guns. We lose a a classroom full of kids every couple of weeks. Uh, So you have to ask yourself, how well is nothing working? We are waiting for our legislators to take action, and we haven't seen that yet. I don't understand why the American public hasn't had enough. How many more of these events do we have to have, regardless whether it's six people or 25? When's enough? I mean, if you slaughter children the way they were slaughtered, and six teachers who are trying to defend their bodies and defend them, and that can't bring us together instantly, then my friend, this thing will never come together. I think they'll look back and say people weren't properly educated about guns, about gun laws, about what are rights and what are privileges, and what needs to be done to make the world safer. After he saw the trailer on Indiegogo, Cochran couldn't help but conclude that if the trailer proposal had only one pro-gun voice versus six against, including some of Oregon's most virulent anti-gun legislators whose voices you heard, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. Cochran convinced Strickland to go with him and record Fitzgerald admitting that he'd lied about his premise for the documentary. Strickland was game. After all, he was a gonzo videographer, going places in 2016 where no others were going in Oregon. Since guns were one of his beats, he was all in. 
During his research, he made friends with Oregon's anti-gun rights community. Ceasefire Oregon, Michael Bloomberg anti-gun lobbyists, congressional reps, state lawmakers. And he would also later collaborate on yet another anti-gun film called Behind the Bullet. I told him stop. He wouldn't do it. And so I fired one shot. He died right where I'm standing, right here. I see that the bullets hitting off the wall. I'm like, oh, they're shooting. So I pulled my gun out, and then I just shot back twice. I pulled the trigger, and it was the loudest sound I'd ever heard. I thought, why am I not instantly dead? Like, why did I even pick up that gun? You know, that's like, that's like the biggest thing. Like, like, how stupid could I have been? My younger son, Matthew, died as a result of a gunshot. I'm afraid to go to bed at night. My dreams are horrible. I relive this every day. I didn't realize how many people's lives I impact by taking his life. I didn't think I could be forgiven. This film, too, was a film showing what happens when good guys use guns to save themselves. And what a bad idea it is. The film dealt with the aftermath of people who used their guns to save themselves from attack, or worse and how they regretted using a gun to defend themselves. They hated living with the sadness of having taken another person's life, which is understandable. One featured case involved a child who played with a gun and killed his brother. But back at the restaurant where Cochran was talking to Fitzgerald, cameras sat on the table. Fitzgerald knew they were there, and Strickland says the documentarian lunged across the table to forcibly wrestle a camera out of my hand. I wasn't about to turn off the other camera that I grabbed after he did that. No telling what he was about to do that he obviously didn't want on camera. Fitzgerald stands up to make an exit with the cameras while Strickland calls him out. Outside, he attacks Strickland, flipping the videographer onto his shoulder where you can hear it break as he's thrown onto the cold March asphalt parking lot surface. He's physically attacking me right now. Hey, 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 hey. Enough. The injury was serious. Strickland's arm and shoulder were broken in three places. He was not able to work his two jobs in video and his sound work for seven months. He had multiple medical procedures. The publication, Bearing Arms, picks up part of the story, quoting... We can also confirm that anti-violence producer-filmmaker Sky Fitzgerald turned himself in to a neighboring law enforcement organization after the attack, which was witnessed by numerous people. Based upon those accounts, Fitzgerald has been charged with felony robbery, misdemeanor theft, misdemeanor assault, and it seems possible that the assault charge may be upgraded by prosecutors. Bearing Arms also reports that on Twitter the next day, Fitzgerald tweeted at anti-gun rights state legislator Ginny Burdick, featured in the trailer of his film, Portland area Congressman Earl Blumenauer and an Oregon lobbyist for a Michael Bloomberg anti-gun group, Jake Weigler. Here's what it said. At Rep Blumenauer, Ginny Burdick, Jake Weigler. Here is beginning of fallout after defending myself when a CHL holder reaches for a weapon. Sky Fitzgerald, March 11th, 2015. Let's just pause there for a second. 
Fitzgerald just accused Strickland or Cochran of reaching for a weapon. There is no proof of that. Back to the Bearing Arms account of the attack. The writer reports, I asked Gresham police directly about this claim. There was no evidence whatsoever that there were any firearms at the scene, concealed or otherwise, on the persons of the victim or any of the witnesses. Fitzgerald got caught. He then beat up someone, causing great bodily injury to get evidence that would make him look bad. And then he lied about it. He posed as a victim to burnish his anti-gun video and seal his reputation with his friends in high places who knew only too well who Michael Strickland was. But as you've heard, some of the recordings survived. The attack was on video. There were witnesses. Strickland was attacked while on the phone with 911. Police were involved. Charges were filed. And then, nothing. Strickland attorney Jason Short. When the district attorney's office proceeded to not uh, proceed on a clear on tape, on video, of an assault, of a theft, um, where we're not talking about something that was just a scratch. We're, you know, broken in, I think, two or three parts. Is that right, Chris? Yeah. In his arm. Yeah, it was Pretty, a serious, it was a serious, serious A very serious injury where clearly there was no punches thrown beforehand. You know, no claim of saying, well, I acted in self-defense because Mr. Strickland was attacking me or assaulting me. Clearly, that wasn't the case. And what is just as shocking is the fact that that would not be prosecuted, that someone that he would not be prosecuted for for assaulting Mr. Strickland or for taking his personal property or anything of that nature. Just mind-boggling. That's right. Sky Fitzgerald, well-known anti-violence documentarian, apparently anti-self-defense and anti-gun polemicist, attacked Strickland, slamming him down on the asphalt parking lot, putting him in the hospital, injuring him so severely he couldn't work for months. And the Multnomah County District Attorney's Office declined to prosecute him. Next time on Antifa versus Mike Strickland, prosecutors go after Strickland and self-defense is on trial. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by VictoriaTaft.com and our Antifa action figures. Just in time for your Christmas buying season, there's Radar from Soy Stream News, Miss Warlord, and our special collection of the real housewives of Antifa, Batgirl, the Antifa camp counselors, and much, much more. Look for my web store soon at Zazzle. Get the link at VictoriaTaft.com soon and Put your favorite characters on shirts, mugs, masks, stationery. Mock your favorite leftist. Collect all 12 initial characters and make a calendar. Enjoy these unique and beautifully illustrated figures. Uh, Not the way they see themselves, but the way we see them. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1ACast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1ACast. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram 
photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adults in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved. <laughs>